All right, welcome to Movie Left, a movie review podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Anthony Montarulo, joined by my co-host, Comrade Dracula. Comrade, what's going on? I'm sitting here looking at images of this uh, Seattle Autonomous Zone that's been around for the last three weeks where uh, Black Lives Matter protesters took over a police station in about six blocks in downtown Seattle and had a little uh, sort of ongoing uh, car-free street area. Um, and the police finally came in and, and uh, evicted it, evicted everybody at like 5 a.m. this morning, which is, uh, you know, probably the time that uh, c- cops are awake and ready to beat people up and protesters are sleeping in their tents going, what? Like, you know, <laughs> they're not, not really ready to, to do street battle yet. And uh, I'm looking here at this picture and there's at least four or five cops in this, this video that I saw that are all wearing like the, the, the bright yellow um, masks from uh, Watchmen, HBO's Watchmen series that uh, David Lindelof did. That we uh, we did a review of every episode that, when that came out last fall. Was that last fall or last spring? It was last fall, yeah, right? I remember. I think it was fall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like ten years ago. And there's no way that's a coincidence. There's no way that's a coincidence because it's it's like we we already saw some images that looked very much like Watchmen. You know, when when this first started, there was a uh, like a police funeral in Chicago, um, and they were all in their, their, like, official uniforms, you know, all lined up with their COVID masks on. I was like, wow, it looks, looks just like Watchmen. But these are, like, exactly like the... Bright- the masks, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And there's <laughs> no way they don't know that. There's no, there's no way that's an accident. Um, and there's, nothing, if- there's nothing inherently wrong with that. It's just, I mean, the show is, is very much about the brutality of police and the brutality of white supremacists and how that overlaps. And apparently, like... The, these guys are just like, oh, that's cool. Let's do that. Let's emulate that, <laughs> right? And yeah. you know, and it's it's like life imitates art. You know, the KKK didn't burn crosses until after they saw the film Birth of a Nation, um, D.W. Griffith's horribly racist epic film, uh, in which the KKK is the hero and they terrorize black people and um, and burn crosses. And he was like, "That's a cool image. What if we did that?" And then the KKK yeah. is like, "Hey, that let's do that. We saw it in a movie, so you know we know this stuff has an impact and tends to uh, embolden the worst traits amongst uh, you know our institutions." Nazis aren't very creative on their own. Is basically the point of this. They, no, they need no. to be led into this by creatives. That, yeah, to, to all well, they got they got to hire fashion designers and you know. Uh, coca-cola and ibm to you know make all their shit for them so mm-hmm. you might be wondering why we're talking about this if we're going to review a movie uh terminator 2 <laughs> and yeah. and why it is we're reviewing this movie now 30 years after it came out you know what its relevance is and it has a ton of relevance it's so relevant and i think that's one of the reasons this this film holds up so well uh and doesn't feel dated at all no and all. it is almost uh, prophetic in, in what it tried to to say at the time, which I think most people didn't get, because it wasn't you know really on the surface. But uh, we're we're going to go into some of the details of, you know what what James Cameron, what Jim Cameron, as they say in the industry, uh, really was trying to say with this film. Yeah, hundred percent. So yeah, um, we're going to get into all the thematic significance of the movie. Obviously, just purely from a visual and visual effects standpoint, I, this might be like the best looking movie. I've ever seen like I don't I know that seems crazy because we've come so far in terms of VFX technology but this is uh, you know I talk a lot about when we talk about movies especially action movies from this era 
about how this is really the sweet spot for uh, movies and, and effects in movies where uh, computers are starting to come along where you can kind of enhance and, you know, sweeten things up. But it's still at a time where you need to spend the money to actually build a lot of the shit that you see on screen. And what you get is this amazing amalgamation of the two where you actually have physical props, you know, like in Jurassic Park, you actually had to build the fucking T-Rex. And like in this movie, the opening scene, that incredible, um, f- uh, you know, flash forward to the future with, with the battle with the machines, um, all of those Terminators are actual working animatronic Terminators in that scene. Right. And it's a really amazing Insane. shot, too, where, you know, there, there's a few kind of like setting the scene shots of... of you know, nighttime, post-apocalyptic L.A. But then there's this beautiful. There's some really great tracking shots that you don't even notice because you're just you're you're what you're looking at is so horrific or or yeah. just beautiful. You don't notice the camera movement, and that's that's always great when you don't really, you know, you have a complicated tracking shot, but you're not really aware of it. You know, that that shows they really know what they're doing. But there's this tracking shot that's moving along the ground, and then you start to see like you know, like a uh, burnt out car and then like the burnt out swing sets and then like a burnt out tricycle. And then you get to like the skulls, all the skulls on the ground. And it it, like camera pulls in really close. And then that robotic foot comes down and crushes the skull. And then the camera pans back out. And then you've got just all this fucking action going on. And all that was done. I mean, obviously, you know, lasers are, are CGI'd in there, right? But you know, you've got you've got rear projection, and you've got the models in the background flying around. You know, the hunter killers, and you've got the, you know, uh, actual animatronic, uh, you know, terminators, and it's just like all the all the things. Like, I, apparently, I read this in the you know IMDb, but the um, the guy that had to make all the skulls was told to make ten of them. The Cameron would want to shoot ten takes, and he's like, "I know he's going to want more than that." So he made twenty six of the skulls <laughs> that had to be crushed, <laughs> and James Cameron uh, shot. Uh, 26 takes <laughs> so uh yeah right. just that level of detail and 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 you know and, and then every every cgi shot still holds up and looks amazing you know he wanted yeah. to do this stuff back in the first one but he was just like it's gonna look terrible we can't do it you know yeah. he, he thought about doing it with claymation it was like nah it's gonna look terrible too um and you know we did the abyss with the you know the water creature which you know was it doesn't look like that much today. We don't think about it. Like, but that back then it was like they were. He didn't know if it was going to work. Even when they did this movie, you know, you do screen tests of, of the animation, but until you have the actual photography uh, that you've you've shot on set mixed with the animation, you don't know what it's going to finally look like. You just don't, right? So it was it was a big gamble, and this this budget. It went way over budget. It was originally like seventy five million, then it was eighty, then it went up to 100, 100, uh, 108 million which in 1990 was uh, a ton of money <laughs> we don't think about yeah. it that anything today right um but they didn't know if they were gonna make their money back on this they didn't know if it was gonna work you know sequels had a bad reputation <laughs> at the time for making money um but uh, you know it was he, he you know cameron had already done a uh you know done uh, aliens and that was really successful so they were kind of like hey maybe this guy kind of knows how to improve <laughs> this the the stories here so uh but you know just it's it, it they blended it so seamlessly like you know when the when the t1000 uh opens the elevator door and gets the shotgun blast to the head and his head's just split in half like that was a really complicated mix of uh puppets and wires and uh robert patrick's actual head uh and then the cgi of like as a as a 
glues itself back together. And you can't tell what's what. You can't tell exactly what is CGI and what's what's real and what's not. You know, so for them to blend yep. all those things, to not just have amazing CGI, but to blend it so well with amazing photography. There, there's just some just regular photography shots in this when uh, Sarah Connor has her um, uh, the the nuclear uh, night terror. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, it's a great, great scene. When they when they cut out of that, they cut to a shot of her, and the entire background is it's like it's, it's this long lens shot. And the entire background's blurred out, so you just see like this, like pastel dusk time desert wall of color, and then just her and her face, and it's one of the most amazing shots of the whole film. Um, so yeah, just just all around the the look of this. The aesthetics of this movie, I fucking love. I love, you know, just just the dusty kind of, you know, the Southwest, like the 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 amount of just the tonal, um, you know, tonal thought that was put into this movie. I thought was really what sets it apart as an action movie from like you know the kind of typical schlock of the eighties and you know early nineties. It's just really like a fucking amazingly made film that just happens to be an action movie. And it also happens to be, you know, the greatest action movie of all time, uh, in my opinion. It's a pretty, you know, if it's not the greatest, it's certainly top three. And for not only a sequel of another film to be considered, I mean, this is, you know, the ultimate, uh, when you're like, oh, well, uh, you know, name me a sequel that's better than the original. This is immediately the movie that comes to mind. I know people say Godfather too, but this is like the movie that comes to mind when somebody says that. Eh, I, isn't Godfather 2 the one where like the first hour of the movie is the goddamn wedding and it just like drags and drags and drags? Well, it's the one with De Niro playing the young brand. I mean, yeah. I, I don't particularly like do those movies as much as everyone yeah. else does, but I mean, that's, I know I'm going to get my Italian card revoked for, for saying that, but. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but no, I mean, this, I mean, this movie's incredible and, uh, you know, it, it, it's just. It, it, it's it was so good that it just they will not stop trying to recreate this movie, and there have been so many bad fucking Terminator sequels. Uh, Yo, oh, yeah, and when you read about all the all the bad ideas they had for Terminator Two that they didn't do, mm-hmm. uh, they all have been done in the subsequent films. Like all the corny <laughs> things that, like you know, I mean, the the whole thing with Skynet was Skynet's uh, an allegory. You know, it, it's it's always been an allegory for our loss of humanity, you know, mm-hmm. our, our, uh, like, like they say, like one of the cheesiest lines, actually the movie that I wish they would have left out was it's in your nature to destroy yourselves. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's sort of true. But like, when, like it's a lot on the nose. How did you, uh, yeah. And it comes out of nowhere. Like, Oh, so you're just a philosopher now too. Like when did that, <laughs> like, that's not factual information. Yeah. That's a lot of supposition there, but it yeah. was like, you know, they never show you Skynet. They never show it to you because it's this mythical thing that's just a stand-in for the loss of our own humanity. So, of course, in the subsequent films, they have to like actually show Skynet, and then Skynet's just like a big face on a big giant oh, computer God. monitor. That's it's just worst like fucking this movie. Is, uh, it's the, like the Genesis or yeah, Genesis. I the, think worst, it was. the worst. The worst. It's salvation. I, whatever the fuck. They're all. It's all the same in my head now. You know. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you touched on a couple of things I wanted to bring up, but yeah, the um. The sequels all suck. I mean, to varying degrees. The the new one actually was not. I I haven't, I haven't finished it yet. I've watched half of it, but the first half of it I actually kind of enjoyed. So I do want to go back and finish that. Uh, if but, you didn't watch it all in one sitting, that says everything already. Th- exactly. Yeah. It was. It, it certainly wasn't T two or T one. You know, even no. uh, quality. I mean, if if anything, 
the one they did, you know, what was it? Salvation was the one with um, Christian Bale. Christian Bale, where he famously yeah. went fucking crazy on set and had that <laughs> meltdown. Uh, that, that of course got turned into a fucking remix immediately. Uh-huh. At least with that, they tried to kind of do something different than the the same formula. Whereas like the the you know Dark Fate, the one with uh, Mackenzie Davis, who's total babe, uh, they really just like copied term every aspect of Terminator Two. It was it was yeah. like literally like scene for scene the exact same thing. Uh, and, and, you know, of course, they went back to the motif of, you know, the, the monster, the evil Terminator being a cop, <laughs> or in this case, a Border <laughs> Patrol agent. But, you know, still, of all the other sequels, it's probably the best one. And they kind of like, you know, they, they made it good enough that they got Linda Hamilton back. But, you know, it's again, it's just like, oh, what if John Connor, but instead a woman? It's like, that's really all they did with it, right? Yeah. Um, it's also absurd how they have to keep explaining why Arnold's like older, like why the, why this m- <laughs> right. machine is somehow aging. Like it's just a little preposterous, but whatever. I mean, you know, it's, oh, it's total retcon. It's total retcon. Yeah. Oh, the Terminators get older, and also they can develop a, a conscious immorality on their own without you know being told to uh, after murdering John Connor in cold blood. It was it was <laughs> also just like. Oh, so we did all that for what exactly? Just bam, John Connor. Because hundred percent only Sorry. because Edward Furlong is like a fucking you know drugged out like lunatic now, and they couldn't have him in the movie. Like if he was a normal guy who was still acting, hundred percent wouldn't have had to do that. Right. But. Well, and, and that's the reason uh, why he got the part in the first place when he was thirteen because they couldn't find any kids that were actors that could pull off the character. Like they needed a kid. This is this is you know Edward Furlong was perfect for the part because he was a foster kid. He was estranged yeah. from his, his real parents. Uh, and, and he apparently, like, really got along and looked up to uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, so much so that he, it, Arnold started giving him uh, uh, dating advice. Advice about women awesome. on set. Uh, apparently not to Linda Hamilton because the dating advice he was giving him was, was horrible. And she, was. she yeah, it was, it was like totally sexist shit. I mean, you, I don't know Arnold if you Schwarzenegger, Total, yeah. Famous uh, uh, feminist, obviously, treats women with tons of respect, including yeah, well, housekeepers. So we'll, we'll just get through this real quick here. But um, So Linda Hamilton said that Ed Furlong and Arnold Schwarzenegger got along so well because they were emotionally the same age. <laughs> and That's I don't know great. if you, you remember, but Arnold was the Republican governor of uh, California. Uh, and when he was the governor in the Gary Trudeau comic strip Doonesbury, his name was the Gropenfuhrer. <laughs> <laughs> because Arnold famously liked to grab women's asses yeah. when he was a younger weightlifter guy. He just grabbed women's asses. It was the 70s. Whatever. No big deal. Just grab an ass. Right, so that's you know, I mean, he, he's I I hope he's come a little way <laughs> from that being that kind of person, but I mean, uh, his his public facing persona now is is generally really good. He's he's you know just posting online about like how people should be wearing masks and post videos of him feeding his his donkey at his kitchen table and shit like. So he seems to be he seems to have calmed down, but I mean, who knows? I mean, politically he's probably to the left of almost every democrat. <laughs> That's the craziest <laughs> but, thing. Is like he's certainly uh, yeah. the best republican like major ele- he's probably sucked, but he still was the best elected republican, you know, yeah. on, a, on a on a national level. Uh he was like, you know, he's he's very into, you know, fighting climate change and he he seems to generally be a fairly sure. not 
sure. insane person. But um, but yeah, which is I mean, also, you, you know, know they, they shot this back in 1990, and you know, our our values, <laughs> I, I think, have progressed a little bit. You look at like 80 90s sitcom, and you're like, oh, that's racist. Ooh, that's <laughs> fucking like, really? We didn't yeah. didn't catch that back in the day. Like, uh, yeah. So, but you know, so surprisingly, like, there's th- those those kind of cringy elements, like, really aren't in this movie. There's no point where you go. Oh, this really feels like early '90s. It's very timeless. Like, there's nothing that that yeah, nothing that uh, you know cements it into that time period. It really could have come out last year, and nothing would be all that different. Yeah. Like, we, we've still got biker bars, you know. We've still got semi trucks. We've still got tons of guns. <laughs> yeah, no, that 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 certainly has aged well. We, we've still got uh, tech companies that are trying to create AIs that we are afraid are gonna, you know. Uh, enslave us right like none of that's different now <laughs> yeah 100 percent. so when you mentioned furlong i actually so you know it, it's always been the kind of uh you know it, it, people always like to rag on edward furlong's performance and that he's whiny and you know all that shit i actually think he does a really good job in this movie like for for a child actor or for a young you know adolescent actor it, it's such a hard part to cast and i really think he he never comes across as like like he, it, it see like you said he was a foster kid. It seems very genuine the way yeah. he interacts. I mean, have with you ever Arnold. hung out with a ten year old boy? Like that's what they're like. <laughs> yeah, they're I mean, I, I know he's horrible. thirteen playing ten, but like from ten to thirteen, like your your preteen years, like you're pretty. You know, I mean, he's he's kind of embodying a little bit older teenager with with everything. Like I don't know if a ten year old kid could hack into uh, a major tech company's vault, but you know, whatever. Uh, it's a movie. It's a movie, right? With with a credit card, with a credit card skim, skimmer or whatever the fuck that is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, technology of the '90s movie. That's the one thing is like '90s movie technology, <laughs> hacking technology is so preposterous. Like, so I I I, uh, I was watching I to review for this. I watched it again last <clears throat> night, <clears throat> and uh, Ash watched it also from our different locations, right? Mm-hmm. So whenever we watch a movie from different places to get like that, like we'll we'll text back and forth with it. Uh, or back and forth with each other, I should say, and uh, you know when the the scene where he's like hacking into the vaults, you know, <laughs> she texted, she was like more hacking, and I there's that that gif of the guy who's running around the uh, like uh, Best Buy, like 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 smashing his fingers on all the different computers, and he's like <laughs> you know listing off all the things he's hacking at the same time, you know, like <laughs> CIA hacked, FBI hacked, and he's like just running around hacking, hacking. Like I sent that. <laughs> gift to her right like it's just, it's just absurd right but it's absurd yeah and that's kind of what, what one of the things that sort of makes this a modern blockbuster as opposed to prior blockbusters say like et or jaws uh is that those movies are always kind of a bit more grounded in in reality i think i mean obviously et there's aliens and everything but you know in jaws everything that happens ostensibly could happen right and sure we're seeing still... it right now at, at, a, at a national level with all of these idiot fucking governors <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Close the beaches, right? But yeah, I mean, the the, the shark's not like eighty feet long. It's not like a shark. No, sure, though. Sure. It's it's still just like it's a really big shark, right? Whereas sort of the modern blockbusters, there's always an element of things that simply can't be, right? Like they just could, aren't possible. But it's mm-hmm. sold in a way that's very realistic, right? And that's what I think this film also does is is the the story is just like you you forget you're watching sci-fi because it's it's modern day, right? And everything you're seeing, the backdrop is is completely normal you're in a mall you're in the tech tech noir nightclub you know you're you're at a uh 
you know, tech company that, that's like, it's just a strip mall. It's not some like futuristic looking building. It's just a place like they, they, you couldn't even get a three story building. They had to put up like a third floor facade to make it look bigger because they were just <laughs> like, well, we're going to blow up this fucking strip mall because it's cheap, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't look high tech, right? It, it feels very much modern day or, you know, well, yeah, still, like it doesn't. Well, like, well, that's, the, the, even the cars don't look that dated. Like they didn't have no, a bunch of that, cars. That's that a were, crazy thing. Yeah, it is like you watch a movie like Die Hard, which came out I think four or five years earlier than this, and it again that's another one of the greatest action movies of all time. But the the when you watch that versus this, Die Hard looks like it's from like twenty years earlier. Like just the the computer oh, yeah. in the lobby, yeah. like everything is so like the hair. preposterously eighties versus this yeah. movie. It, it, they almost seemed like they went out of their way to not do 80s hairstyles, not do 80s music, not, or, or, you know, late 80s, 90s music. Like, it's just a very, like, timeless uh, project. And I, I have to think that given Cameron's, you know, kind of directing chops, that that was deliberate. But it it, it's like just really too, incredible. Yeah. And then, but then there's also the fact that, like, the, the, you're watching a guy who's wearing, like, a leather, you know, motorcycle jacket, which, like, those came out of the 50s. Right, like those started like the 1950s, and, mm-hmm. and and that that look has never gone away. Right, and then you've got the police uniform. Like police uniforms haven't haven't changed in 40 years. It's the exact same fucking uniform, right? And then you've got like the the uh, the psych ward orderlies. Like those are basic. Like those uniforms haven't haven't changed at all. Right, so I think he kind of looked for costumes for these characters that hadn't changed for a long time, knowing that like, well, if it hasn't changed for a long time, it's probably not going to change in the future either. Well, you know, and the one great, uh, like, chronistic part of, like, uh, part of the wardrobe is John Connor's Public Enemy t-shirt. Yes. Which is a very deliberate choice to tie into the whole theme of the movie, which we should, I guess, get into now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, th- this movie is explicitly anti-cop, and given the time that we're in right now, and given the... Um, just horrific uh, police riots that we've seen at all of these, you know, uh, peaceful protests over the last uh, month, I guess now it's been. Um, it, it, James Cameron was trying to kind of tap into something that was very uh, not kosher to say in a mainstream, you know, audi- to a mainstream audience in 1990, 1991. Yep. Um, and I actually have a quote from Cameron uh, from his auto, from his biography. Well, before you get to so that yeah, quote, yeah. I want to set this Let's up a little bit too. You, um, you know, because at the time, you know, the, the police were still very much beloved in popular culture. You know, I mean, we we we'd had riots over, uh, you know, racism and police brutality. You know, you had the Watts riots. You had the, uh, you know, the the riots after MLK was assassinated, which, you know, the police back then were very much uh, inflaming that kind of thing. I mean, it was police violence that kicked off uh, the the major Detroit riots in 1967, right? But it was still like, you know, white people in this country who made most of the pop culture Mm -hmm. uh, didn't see the problem, right? And you know, this was this was at a time. Uh, ironically, this this movie was greenlit in 1990. Uh, they didn't even have a script for it, and they made the whole thing in eight months, and it had to be ready for the next summer because they were, you know, we were now in this like blockbuster summer cycle. where you got to have it ready, otherwise you're not going to make the money back. And it was four months um, after the Rodney King beating that this came out, 
And of course, the verdict didn't come out for another year and a half or so. Um, but it's you know the the idea that, that Cameron would uh, choose for the villain to be a cop. You know, the the default setting of the T one thousand was this cop. Um, wasn't you know it was it was a because he wanted the character to be able to kind of just like walk up to people and say, hey, have you seen this boy? And, you know, people would just, of course, engage with this person, right? Where if you're just a regular guy, people would be like, who the fuck are you? Uh, and it would allow him access to different things. But they also, originally, were, the idea was there was going to be Arnold playing two Terminators, a good one and a bad one. And they fortunately, like, scrapped that idea because yeah, it would sucks. be absurd, right? And then, of course, they did it in a later movie <laughs> with a different <laughs> character because that's yep. yeah, a bad idea. Uh, but they were like, no, that'd be dumb. So we need somebody who you know, is going to be scarier than Arnold, right? And they were like, what about just, like, a bigger dude? And they were like, nah, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's just a dumb idea, right? Because uh, we need Arnold to be the big tough guy. We need somebody to be, to be scary in a different way. And what's, what's the scariest thing, uh, you know, that can still easily blend in and just walk amongst people? It's a cop. Yeah. Right? It's a cop. Yeah. Somebody who has ultimate authority... Uh, and, and also no accountability. You know, yeah. And, and no accountability, right. Uh, can have limited, unlimited access to weapons and vehicles and, uh, you know, but the other, I mean, the other thing was, you know, the sort of the other metaphor that I saw and, and you we get your uh, quote here, which is a great quote, um, is that, you know, the sort of the meta, the thing with the Terminator is like, you can't kill it. It just keeps coming and coming and coming relentlessly without end. There's nothing you can do, uh, which is kind of like, you know, with the police, it's like you might. You know, say if you were in a gun battle with the police, like you might shoot one, you might shoot two, you might shoot a couple, but there's always going to be another one. There's always another cop. There's always just re relentless. There'll always be another cop coming mm -hmm. after you. You know, you could be, uh, you know, Dorner and take out a few, but like eventually they're going to burn down your log cabin with you in it. Yeah. Uh, Turning so, into yeah. Swiss cheese. And, and, you know, people don't realize, I think, that every single thing you see in a movie was a deliberate decision. There's almost in a good nothing. movie, yeah. I yeah. mean, for the you know, yeah. I mean, there's there's sometimes like a you know happy accident that gets left in, or like a you know once in a while a line gets improvised and they leave it in. Um, but even then, there's an intense discussion about like, well, do we want to keep that shot where that one thing happened mm -hmm. that we didn't plan for, or do it you know like it, sure. nothing you see is left to chance in the final cut, right? So you know, just just to kind of hammer this home. So you don't think we're making all this up. Let's hear the uh, the quote from well, actually, Real quick before I do that, you mentioned yeah. Rodney King. Uh, piece of trivia, uh, unbelievable piece of trivia I learned while researching this. Oh, yeah. So, so the opening scene in the biker bar was shot across the street from the Rodney King beatings. And not only that, they were shooting in the bar at the time of the Rodney King beatings. So it, it's just like the thematic significance of this couldn't have been more... Yeah, I'll, you know, do, you, I'll do you one better. Um, the man that shot the Rodney King beating footage uh -huh. on that camera, on that same tape, he had visited the set of the, sh of the, of the shoot and <laughs> had filmed sort of the outside perimeter of the Terminator film set. So there's Crazy. footage of the Terminator set on the Rodney King beating tape. It's on the same tape. Unreal. Yeah. This, this Unreal. is the world we live in. This is LA. <laughs> crazy fucking place so yeah this is this is cameron's quote from um from a biography uh written about him by rebecca keegan uh during his you know interviews with her uh the terminator films are not really about the human race getting killed off by future machines they're about us losing touch with our own humanity and becoming machines which allows us to kill and brutalize each other 
Cops think all non-cops are less than they are, stupid, weak, and evil. They dehumanize the people they are sworn to protect uh, and desensitize themselves in order to do that job. So, I mean, you know, couldn't be more in black and white the way that James Cameron, the writer and director of this film himself, sees well, the, the theme and, of it. And you look at, like, how he's, you know, who the villain is in most of the rest of his films, you know, in 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 the abyss it's the fucking military right in yep. avatar it's the military <laughs> uh you know in in titanic it's all the rich assholes you yep. know like he clearly has an axe to grind with people who have unlimited institutional power and are you know stepping on the neck of the little guy right and and he's he's wealthy you know like he clearly like did a good job and and attained wealth through working his ass off every, you know, once in a while when he decided to finally finish By creating things, not by, you know, destroying right. them or... Right, but, like, half the time he's he's on hiatus because he's trying to, like, build a new computer that, that you know, will do the thing that, you know, for which the technology does not yet exist. <laughs> like, yeah. that was, you know, he was it took him forever to make Avatar because he's like, we can't do this, you know. And now he's like, oh, I have to make more Avatars. And everyone's kind of like, do you, though? <laughs> you don't really. <laughs> do you really? <laughs> like, are you sure about that, James? Can yeah. you not just maybe go back to the Terminator franchise or for, make something else entirely? For a meme right there. Um, but, you know, okay, I'm sure, like, whatever he comes up with, it'll be fucking amazing. Right, there'll be a point to it, and he'll be like, "See, this is why I fucking did all this shit, and why it took forever." I'm like, "All right, it's, eh, okay," um, but yeah, like, so he he's got uh, he's tapping into something there, and and it really, you know, you see it now, and you're like, uh, it's it's amazing that the biggest blockbuster action movie in, in in our lifetimes that you know you can go back to over and over, it's still always entertaining and, and not dated. It has this huge anti cop propaganda message to it and it's like uh, i didn't see it <laughs> i didn't even think yeah, about no, that me neither it never uh, even occurred to me you know and and it's really i mean it's like the whole you know the whole thing that we've turned blockbusters into now with like transformers movies and you know every you know the top gun to whatever like everything now uh is propaganda for the cops and for the military you know the transformers uh and the military are like on the same side Right, except for they the last one. They on all of these. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, you know, they, they, they want to have access to, like, actual military weapons and tanks and everything. So the script has to be approved by the Pentagon. Pentagon has their own office of propaganda, film propaganda. So does the CIA. The CIA has their own office where they work yep. with Hollywood to make sure this, the scripts are uh, complimentary. Uh, except the last Transformers movie. Did you see that one, The Bumblebee? I didn't, actually, no. It's really good because Michael Bay had nothing to do with it. Um <laughs> And what's what's the, the the wrestler turned actor? Not the rock. John Cena. Yeah, yeah. So he's in it, and this is just a little aside from Terminator. But this in this movie, the, the U.S. military is out to kill Bumblebee, right? And and he's playing like the leader of this military troop. And there's there's it takes place in the '80s, and the, the main character is this um, teenage girl who's amazing. The, the young I can't remember her name, but the young actress they got for her is amazing. It's just, you know, it's like a instead of having like all the fucking Autobots and Decepticons, it's just Bumblebee, mm -hmm. right? And and of course he's the, the cute one and doesn't talk, but it's it's really just like a very kind of anime girl and her giant robot story, right? But um what, what's the guy's name again? The wrestler? John Cena. Yeah. So he's like this just total asshole military guy, like picks on all of his other military friends. 
but there's a great shot of him in his office where there's like a picture of Ronald Reagan hanging behind him and he's got this like all black uniform on with like these like suspenders and has like he's like cocking his gun it's like just it, there's no way it's not meant to make him look like a total fascist like it's just <laughs> total fascist iconography it's funny and eventually by the end of the movie like he he realizes he's a fascist and all of his buddies are fascists and he has to like you know sort of come to terms with that and realize that, like, he is the bad. He like realizes he's the bad. Like realizes he's the bad oh, guy. That's awesome. And it's it, I, yeah yeah. I, it I, really I, is. I've always hated those movies because of the Michael Bay you know nature of them. But I, I might actually check that out. It, that sounds it's interesting. exactly. It's like a total heel turn, like a deliberate heel turn <laughs> for all the terrible things Michael Bay did to you know exploit our childhood zeitgeist and and make money off of it and, and promote the military. And they like completely flip that around and like, oh, the military are actually working with the Decepticons uh, because they, they want to like have access to all this, you know, alien robot technology so they can further subjugate, you know, Americans and the rest of the world. Like <laughs> that's, that's the plot of this movie. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's so refreshing because it really feels like it's, it's, it's getting to, you know, what is the main theme of, of every sci-fi film? It's not just that it's in the future or it's in outer space. It's about technology taking away our humanity you know look at yeah. look at all the great sci-fi films you know what uh, look at uh you know 2001 look at um you know recently ox uh ox machina you know like the, it's always about the, our our or look at the first work of, of sci-fi in history 200 years ago written by a teenage girl frankenstein right it was about you know the technology to reanimate this this you know dead body or made of of parts of different bodies which is you know kind of like a cyborg you know you're using technology to create this life form that's not entirely human right and then it turns on you because that's what technology does when you don't respect it um this has always been the theme of, of real science fiction that's why you know so many things that they call sci-fi and like netflix you'll say oh sci-fi and like this isn't sci-fi this is not at all sci-fi um but yeah i mean that that's with with the original with the original one and with this one james cameron really knew what he was trying to say and knew that you know beyond just the technology being the threat we're the ones that make the technology we're the ones doing the dehumanizing we're the ones who make the policy decisions that empower the police to have the authority to kill a minority yep 100 percent um you know, in terms of just the scenes, like, so I, I also, like you, rewatched this uh, yesterday and today, <clears throat> and I forget, like, you know, just so many of these scenes are kind of just ingrained in your brain. I've seen this movie so many times, but I forget how many of these scenes are just in a fucking row. Like, every scene in this movie is a fucking banger. Like, you, the the run this this movie goes on of just having incredible action set pieces stacked on top of each other is kind of crazy and I can't imagine a movie today having that kind of pace almost you know it's like they go and they break uh Sarah Connor out of the uh the the psych ward the mental whatever the fuck she's in you know the cr prison for the criminally insane um so th you have that in incredible action sequence then you have the chase with where uh the T1000 catches up with them uh you know and chases them at you know in, in the car running alongside the car and then from there you go right to the scene where they get the guns in the desert. And then you go uh, right to the fucking scene where she goes to kill Dyson in his house. And then you go right to the scene where they go to, to, you know, uh, destroy the, the chips at Cyberdyne. And you have that incredible fucking 
action sequence with uh, Arnold, you know, like blowing up all the cop cars with the minigun. And then the it's just and then right from there, you go to the fucking freeway chase and then into the foundry. It's like every scene in this movie is insane. And they still manage to do character work in between to the point where you really are affected by the ending. It's kind of an incredible feat that right. most action movies well, can't pull one, off. One of the things he did in the first Terminator was <clears throat> he figured out the way that you can get people to sit through 10 minutes of expository dialogue is have the dialogue being said aloud while there is a car chase and gunshots happening. <laughs> yep. You know, and, and the entire, like Kyle Reese's huge explanation of like, what the Terminator is and what the future is and Skynet and everything. He's telling all this to Sarah Connor while they're driving down the street at breakneck speed being chased by the Terminator and they're shooting back and forth, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he even knows, like, even then you got to break it up. So there's a scene in the first Terminator where he's like, hold on. He's like, I'm going to come back to this story later. And then he climbs out of the car, you know, as it's still driving and he's shooting at it. And then, you know, Terminator... You know, they lose him for a minute, and then they pull into a parking garage to ditch the car and find another one. So there's a brief moment where he knows he's got to slow it down, right? You can't have a relentless action. you got to break it up. you got to give people a chance to catch their breath. Otherwise, they get desensitized, and you just you stop feeling it, right? So then he continues the story, and then, of course, the, you know, they get discovered, and then the chase is on again. You know, it's just, a, yep. you know, he knows exactly when to hit the brakes, right? Uh, Mad Max Fury Road, another great example, where it's just relentless, except for a couple moments where, um, you know, that, that director, what's the director's name again? Uh, George Miller. There you go. I, I knew it was Miller or something. Uh, it knows exactly when to just pause for a couple minutes so you have a chance to catch your breath. And then, you know, music cues up again, more action, more car chase, more gunshots. That motherfucker was 78 when he shot that movie. That is insane that that dude would, was just out in the desert fucking racing these insane, like, death For machines. Six, six months. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and if, I, if it was a reboot by anybody else, I'd be like, that's dumb. But it's like, oh, no, he did all those original ones. Like, he's, he yeah. can do it, come back to it anytime he wants to. <laughs> Uh, and did it better than than all the rest combined, really. Yeah. Um, Way better than any of the other movies in that it, franchise. Although I, I would say Road Warriors is a standalone classic by itself. Yeah. No, no, not, I don't, no, I'm not saying they're bad, but like it's just that movie is incredible. Fury Road. Yeah. It's just it, yeah. It, yeah. Well, and it's I mean there there's some great videos online, and this is you know it's always going to be one of those. It's like oh it's a guys guy movie. Like oh it's the kind of movie guys drag their girlfriends to and they have to force them to watch. But it's like it's really not. I mean, it's really you look at the, the pacing uh, and the themes of that movie. It is very much a, a, a movie that I would hope any women, <laughs> women who enjoys cinema would watch and enjoy. I mean, this is this is a movie where everybody, you know, all the, all the white incels online were furious to find out it was secretly a feminist movie and that uh, <laughs> Max wasn't even the main character. And they were like, "I want my money back." It's like, why? It's good. <laughs> like, what you can't you can't enjoy it unless you have to like you know, implant yourself into the main character, you know, like you have to have John sit on the Iron Throne or you have to have, uh, you know, Luke Skywalker, you know, be the... Defeat the First Order on his own. Yeah, and, uh, it's just, it's like they can't see anything else, which is unfortunate, yeah. but... Sad, but... Um, at least they can still enjoy Terminator 2. Yeah. Well, you know, just a funny thing that I, I also read while I was reading some <laughs> trivia for the movie, 
Uh, you mentioned like the kind of driving expository scenes. Apparently Arnold couldn't remember his long exposition about Skynet. So they actually had the, the dialogue taped to the window of the, the windshield of the, the car he was driving yeah, yeah. <laughs> during that. So you just read because he has sunglasses well, on, so you can't see his eyes reading. It's, it's why these movies are perfect for him. Cause they need a big brute guy who doesn't have to say much. Right. Yeah. Like, and it's kind of robotic. Him. Uh, I, I don't know if you remember like the, the, the Conan, the barbarian films he did, but they were like, he didn't even know English back then. Like he's yeah. he's saying words he doesn't understand, <laughs> and even then, like there's like half that first movie, there's no dialogue at all. It's yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it's also like full of some of the most horrifying racist tropes I've ever seen in a movie. And I'm like, this was only '82. <laughs> Holy shit! Like that. Ugh, God. Uh, so yeah, I, I, uh, go ahead. Well, no, I, I just, I, you know, just a quick sidebar on Arnold in general. I, I, I think he's actually, like, he's definitely stiff and goofy and, you know, everything that people think about him. But I think he's actually a very underrated uh, underrated comedic actor. You know, I, and you kind of see it in this movie a little bit. But you watch a movie like Last Action Hero, which is, for my money, one of the most underappreciated movies of, of the 90s. And, you know, it's very... It, it, it got critically panned at the time because it was an Arnold movie and they kind of marketed it as like the next, you know, kind of Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie. Right. But it actually is just this incredible satire on action movies and on Die Hard and all of these. Yeah, I remember that movie. And directed by John McTiernan, who actually directed Die Hard. But it, it um, had some very Robert Zemeckis moments. Like it had some very, very, yeah. very like, you know, very back to the future kind of like. The, all these different little elements happening at the same time that kind of made you know some really perfect scenes. But the I just I I I, tr- I don't remember all the movie that well, but I remember there was like a casket on top of a building and a crane or something. There was like a like a mob oh, funeral. Yeah, there's something I, like that. Yeah, yeah. And he has to, and he had to like the body was like filled with dynamite, so he has to like put the body on this crane to get it out of to save the people at the funeral. But then they all start shooting at it. It's, yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's pretty absurd. funny. Yeah. It's absurdist, but it's funny. Um, but no, I mean, I think that's actually another thing that makes this movie work is that it's obviously a very serious action movie, but there are a lot of really kind of funny moments in the movie, you know, and and that is kind of driven around Arnold's, you know, stoicness or, you know, robotic, like it, it, a lot of that stuff, like that for my money, like one of the great physical comedy moments of a movie is him in the desert, just picking up the little Mexican kid by the, by the, uh, the baby, <laughs> the suspenders, the baby, like looking at him, like, what the fuck is this? Like, how do they, how do they like change size? I don't get it. <laughs> um, well, I mean the whole opening of the movie with, with the biker bar. Oh yeah. When he steps out and he, you know, his boot enters the frame and it cuts to, you know, bad of the bone. You're like, okay, <laughs> this is clearly n- not going to be, you know, a horror movie. It's clearly going to have some comedy. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and it's it's just so you know you never know when a joke's going to work visually when you read it on the page, right? Because there's some mm-hmm. there's some of that same humor in the third one that just does not work does not at work. all. It's so cringy and just just none of it. None of it works. It's very try hard in the third movie. It feels like you know. It right. just feels like it's yeah. Right, but uh, uh, you know the uh, the opening scene, the producers wanted cut, and they were trying to get Arnold to convince James Cameron to cut it, and apparently Arnold told him like o- only a studio guy would want to cut that scene. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that the it's opening scene line. sets the tone for the whole movie because. You know, he's a Terminator, but he doesn't terminate any of them, right? He only, allegedly, 
stops killing people once uh, John Connor tells him to. But in order to, to have him be the good guy, if we saw him murder a bunch of people in a bar in the opening scene, we'd be like very conflicted about whether he really was the good guy now. Mm-hmm. So James Cameron knows that <clears throat> and knows that even though he he probably would have really actually killed all those people if he really was programmed to just still be a regular Terminator, he knows he can't really show that. He's got to show him being a badass, kicking their asses, you know, stabs the guy in the, in the fucking shoulder blade in, in a way, place that it's not going to, you know, kill him. He knows that he's got to show him being a badass, but he knows that if he's the good guy, he can't show him kill anybody in this movie because it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of glorified violence, a lot of glorified violence, actually. I mean, Linda Hamilton has probably some of the most horrifyingly violent scenes in the whole movie where she's beating the shit out of everyone, breaking their bones with a baton and everything. And, you know, you feel like they deserve it because they abused her, uh, especially in some of the deleted scenes or scenes that came out in, like, some of the extended editions. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's still, it's like the minute he tries to kill somebody, tries to shoot that guy, uh, you know, Ed, Ed Furlong's like, you know, his voice cracks. He's like, hey, you know, <laughs> he's like, what do you do? He's like, he wants him to beat him up. But the minute he wants to kill him, he's like, no, no, no. That, that's- and by the way, that, that scene's totally John Connor's fault. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like trying to get like, it, you know, like it, the guys come over because you you call for their help. And then you basically are like, hey, fuck off, man. Like for that, like that 100 percent. His fault little fucking got- shithead. Teenager being raised by shithead foster parents. Yep. You know, hundred uh, percent. Um, but yeah, well, I mean, they had to yeah. kind of like th- that scene feels a little forced, right? Like he had to bit. sort of explain what what the deal was, right? Because he doesn't know what this Terminator is about. And we don't know either, so we're, we're kind of learning. But then also, it's kind of like this. Here's the morality. It's like, yeah, I mean, you know, if I beat the guy up, I've got like my own my own private cyborg now. I want to see what it can do for me. But then he realizes like it's you know it, it is program to kill <laughs> and he's he very much doesn't want him to kill anything because he just you know says that's wrong even when they you know his mom wants to go kill this guy uh you know and and he's like no we have to stop her we have to stop her because that's you know that's not who we are like he he's yeah. he's the morality of of james cameron of, of society is this kid like we we want to see some brutality but we don't want to see anyone's life ended and even yeah. the Terminator says, you know, if, if she kills that guy, it might save the future. He, he's like, just putting that out there. Like, she, you, she, you might want to let her do this. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, no, that isn't who we are. And I love that, you know, of course, when she goes and tries to do it, she gets one shot in his, in his, in his arm. But then when she has to look him in the face and his kids and his family are right there, she's not a killer either. Yeah. You know, and and... and to her credit, Linda Hamilton did some amazing acting in this She's movie. She's unbelievable in this movie. Her her acting, her like physical presence as an action star, which I mean, I, I think we could, you know, I easily one of the greatest female action stars of all time and just an incredible turnaround from uh Terminator. Her, her fucking, incredible progression, I should say, from Terminator One to Terminator Two as her, a character. Her arms alone should have gotten the Academy Award for, for <laughs> best fucking guns. Actually uh, and yeah. apparently like you know, because she was really picky about whether to come back to the movie or not. Um because she kind of plays, you know, you know, helpless lamb in the first one. She, you know, in, in originally meeting with with James Cameron talking about whether she would be involved in the second in a second film said, yeah, that's that's great, but my character needs to be radically changed by the experiences of what she went through. And, you know, you see a little of that at the end of the first one, 
where she's she has to kind of go into like drill sergeant mode to try to get Kyle Reese to get up on his feet. You see a little <clears throat> glimpse of that. So I love the yeah. progression that she really has lost her humanity in becoming, uh, you know, this, this soldier herself. You know, and and you see the mental strain of it. You see how she's been working out all the time. How she's turned into this militant, basically, yeah. which would make sense if you really believed you had to protect your kid at all costs from, uh, you know, a monster that could appear out of nowhere. You would lose your mind too, right? Yeah, yeah. I actually have a little uh, trivia about her uh, training regimen or her preparation for this movie. Yeah. That's insane. Uh, so Linda Hamilton received weapons training from former Israeli commando Uzi Gal and personal physical training from Anthony Cortez for three hours a day, six days a week for 13 weeks before filming. Under both, she trained intensely with weapons, weights, and learned judo and heavy military training techniques. She had to maintain a demanding non-fat diet even during filming and lost 12 pounds. After training, she was able to impress uh, director James Cameron by hitting every mark with a machine gun on a shooting range, despite having no weapon experience beforehand. And she got a special compliment from Arnold Schwarzenegger, former bodybuilder, uh, on the first day of filming for her ripped physique. Because of this punishing regimen, she de declined to reprise a role in T3. Uh, ironically, her twin sister, her identical twin sister, Leslie Hamilton... Uh, was only required to hit the gym for a few hours a week, and the difference is noticeable in the two scenes in which they appear together. Obviously, the ending scene where the T one—it's a really short yeah. scene. Yeah, you're yeah. not even really paying attention to it, but but that's—I mean, that yeah, that's an insane for her to hit. You know how hard it is to be accurate with a machine gun, like at a shooting. Like it, machine guns are designed to just kind of you know crowd suppression fire. They're not designed to be actually accurate they're really for, heavy too yeah yeah and, and they and, move and like and arnold's not that big so they had to find a woman who's not that you know much smaller Lynn hamilton's not a not a large she's not tall like like mackenzie davis is right so no. um and and yeah just just her, like I, I again when we were talking about like the uniforms and how they don't look dated like her outfit where she's got this this super tight like green tank top and like these um you know, military pants, but they're not like baggy. You know, they're kind of form yeah, fitting. Just tack pants, yeah. Um, just you know, and then like her glasses that have like the little things on the sides. You know, like the almost mm -hmm. like like a mix between glasses and goggles. Like um, it, supposedly, and I this is this is a, a teacher in film school told me this that for like the last fifty years, there is one woman in Hollywood who is in charge of picking out the right sunglasses for like every character in every movie that's ever been made for like half a century. It's just, really? that's all that her one job is. She knows exactly the right sunglasses for that character. That's, and that's they just, crazy. it's like one of those superstitious things. <laughs> They're like, if we don't use her, if we don't like, we have different wardrobe people. It's gonna suck if we have different, different costume and different art directors. But with this one woman is who we go to for all sunglasses. And it's, it's like, I don't know if that's true or if that's just like a, uh, what a racket she's got going on if that's right. true <laughs> like, right fuck. you know <laughs> but like i mean think how much the sunglasses were you know such a huge part of the marketing for both uh for both uh terminators i remember back in the 80s going to the mall and there was some uh like sunglass hut place and they had this huge terminator poster up advertising the like the, the exact pair the of pair, uh, yeah. the pair of ray-ban sunglasses that everybody wanted to buy there were so many product tie-ins, and I hadn't even seen the movie. I just remember seeing the poster uh, back in the '80s, and I, I think when this came out, I was probably a little bit too young to go see a R-rated movie. I think because I, I was like 11 when this came out, I probably saw it by the time I was maybe 13 or 14. 
but I remember all the marketing. I remember all the adults talking about it. All the adults were like, you won't believe the, the I don't even know if they called it CGI back then. They, I think they just called it computer animation back mm-hmm. then. And all the adults were like, the computer animation is amazing. It's going to blow your mind. <laughs> um, I actually saw this movie. I was entirely too young to see this movie. My, uh, my grandfather rented it for me and we watched it he, he was cool as shit like in retrospect i didn't think about like all the cool sh- but he was like i used to watch the x files with him like he was into like really like awesome shit on television yeah um but he rented this i, I mean i had to have been like six or seven like i was super fucking young for this movie and i remember just being horrified by like you know when he cuts his arm off to take the to take it to show dyson his uh his cybernetic arm and Stuff like that, but yeah. Well, I'm going to talk about that scene real quick um, because it it does seem really gory, right? Mm-hmm. But it is the the one thing that, and I love that they did it, and it, it clearly like they had planned to do it ahead of time. Yeah. It's not like he just thought it up on the moment. They had the whole car drive to like think, or like, okay, well, if we're not going to kill this guy, what it, what do we have to do to convince him mm-hmm. that we're not full of shit? What's the one thing he's going to recognize? instantly to know that this is real and it's going to be that arm he has to see that arm yeah and there, we don't have any time to hesitate we have no time so when Ed Furlong just like show him <clears throat> and they just fuck cuts us off at first you're like that's is that really necessary and then like wow actually that's that's the most necessary it saved thing. a whole lot of conversation that they would have had yeah. to have because he knows he spent his career looking at that arm right yeah. so when he sees it in that that living tissue, he knows exactly what it is. Yep. And just from a writing perspective, when you're thinking about what, you know, what is a smart thing from a writing standpoint, but also what would be a smart thing for the characters to do in that moment to achieve their goal. And it was like, uh, and, and they don't show the scene where they figure that out. I love that. I love that. It's yeah. like, these are, these are smart intelligent, writing. It's really yeah. smart writing. Smart writing for smart characters doing a smart thing to achieve a smart goal. Working together is one of the most satisfying things. You know, we talked about like uh, Stranger Things, why that was such a great show, because everybody in the show contributes to the outcome and they're all working together to solve problems together, right? And that, that's one of the most fulfilling things you can do. There's nothing worse when you have characters that are, that are uh, passive protagonists that have nothing to do with the outcome of the story. People complain about Game of Thrones that after Arya, uh, yeah, maybe I don't want to spoil this in case yeah. you haven't seen Game of Thrones. It's been a couple years. As soon as she fulfills her uh, destiny, put it that way, that she's kind of dead weight for the rest of the show, right? And it's like, well, I mean, you're juggling so many characters, like that's, you know, and they're not really working together. They're often working at odds with each other. So I get that, you know, why they weren't really mm-hmm. satisfied with that. But it's like. You know, it, it really is, uh, it really was great in that moment. And then to think about it and realize why it was so necessary for him to just, you know, graphically cut his own arm off or cut all the skin off his arm and, and show this guy. Because, it, it, you know, and of course, then they cut to like, you know, uh, whatever time later and clearly they've been talking. So like it wasn't, wasn't as though they didn't explain anything. They just needed to make him know this was, this was real right off the bat yeah yeah 100 percent. so you know we were talking about linda hamilton's wardrobe and actually something that occurred that i'd never noticed before but when i was watching today i noticed so as they're walking into cyberdyne 
uh, and they have to kind of look like semi-normal because the, the the original idea is that uh, Dyson's going to be like, oh, here's my friends from out of town. I want to show them the laboratory, which falls apart in like two seconds. Right. Um, at, at 10 o'clock at night, you yeah. know, happen to be in the neighborhood. <laughs> my, my, my gigantic, muscular, you know, biker jacketed friend, you know, and, and random. Uh, um, but so... Uh, Linda Hamilton to kind of hide her, her her guns like her arms has Michael Bean's jacket on from the first movie, which is kind of incredible because I, I it's just a really like and she takes it off almost immediately, but um it's just a great little subtle character thing because she must have kept it in that bunker which she had prepared you know with all those other weapons and things yeah um I, I just really like that I never noticed that before it's a very understated little bit of character moment that yeah. she still you know yeah. kept that memento. Well, as the uh, honest movie trailer for Terminator Two pointed out, um, you know, if the if the Skynet really wanted to kill John Connor, all they had to do was nothing, because if they hadn't sent someone <laughs> back to kill Sarah Connor, Kyle Reese never would have gone back either, and John Connor never would have been brought into existence anyway. So it's a little bit of a paradox, but yeah. Anyway, I'm, yeah. Sure, J- I'm just sure James Cameron was like, "I hope no one notices that." <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, for sure. So a uh, couple little tidbits of trivia. One that I didn't know about that you brought up to me is that originally the studio wanted uh, O.J. Simpson to be the Terminator. Ugh. Oh, God. Can you fucking imagine? The, the bullet I mean, they dodged with that not selecting him as the, we, as the Terminator. We started talking about, you know, at the, the beginning here about uh, life imitating art. I mean, good God. Can you imagine O.J. Simpson? You'd be like... <laughs> Like, what? What, do we, what was that book he wrote? If I did it, yeah. If I did, <laughs> like that, it would have been would, like if, if that would have happened. Then he'd be like, if I terminated them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying oh I terminated God. them. I'm just saying, what if I did terminate them? That's yeah, totally, right. totally different. <laughs> totally different. But so the studio ended up going with Schwarzenegger because he he ended up being uh, he had a lot he brought a lot of ideas to his his meeting you know Cameron really pushed for him because he had much he had a lot of, of ideas about how the character should behave and manner his mannerisms and like the way he moved and stuff like that yeah which is well, you know sets him apart some from, of the specifics I, I read in that article um, was because you know you think Arnold's dumb and he has like nothing to provide creatively which wasn't true at all Cameron loved him. Um, because when they first, you know, because when they, you know, when you're first talking to an actor, do you want to have this role? Usually it's not even written yet. It's like, well, we're going to write this for you if you want it, but there's different things we're going to write based on the actor we get. Mm-hmm. Like some actors just can't do certain things, right? And when, and a couple of the things that Arnold came up with was that, you know, the Terminator should always le- like look at something and then turn his head toward it, which if, if you ever see someone do that in real life repeatedly, it's really unsettling. I had, a, I had a landlord that would do that, where he would, like, his <laughs> eyes would, like, dart to where you were, and then they would lock on you, and then his head would slowly turn to look straight at you. It was, it was, oh, it's, it's, the, term, it's the Terminator thing. It's like, that's right. that's what I think of when I see somebody do that shit. It's, it's so like, iconic. Yeah, it's, it's like scanning, looking for a target. That's what uh-huh. it looks like, right? Yeah. Uh, and also that, you know, the Terminator should never blink while firing a weapon. Which, if mm. you look closely in the first Terminator, like Arnold definitely does sometimes blank when he's sure. firing it because you can't help the reaction. But they, they train to, to try to not do that. If you watch Robert Patrick in the second one, he's, he's really good at it. He was really good at not blinking at all. Uh, another thing Arnold came up with is that Terminator should never look down to reload his gun. He should always huh. be like reloading, like no look reloading. Like always looking at the target, never taking her off the target. Robert Patrick does the same thing in the second one where, you know, he's in, in, in that mall. Access hallway yeah. with the nine millimeter, and he's just like, pew, 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 
drops the clip out, puts another clip in without once taking his eye off the target, right? Which, I mean, you got to practice with a gun a lot to, like, I would sit there and be like, I don't even know how to get it in if I do look at it. Like, what the <laughs> right. fuck am I doing? Uh, but just, just all That's, those, yeah. you know, and then also Robert Patrick, the thing they, that makes, when he's, he, when he's running after them, looks so unsettling, is his mouth is closed while he's running at full tilt. Mm-hmm. Which, if you're running as a grown adult at as fast as you can, your mouth is open, you're, <sighs> you know, to to be able to run that fast with your mouth closed, just, so you don't even notice it, how unsettling that looks to see him doing that. But yeah. it just, it one more thing they thought of that would make him look terrifying. So I actually have a couple pieces of trivia about things that you just two things you just mentioned. So uh, Robert Patrick trained in a rigorous running regimen while breathing only through his nose in order to be able to appear to run at high speeds without showing fatigue on film. He had trained so hard that he was able to catch up with Edward Furlong on his dirt bike with great ease. So he had to actually slow down considerably so that he didn't catch him while he was chasing him, yeah. which is insane that the amount of like <sighs> physical, you know, the physical peak you have to be at to do that. Um, well, and also a little fact about Robert Patrick, like he was almost completely unknown. He was a struggling actor and like was having trouble paying his rent at the time. So the fact that like they, they would, you know, cast him and I understand, you know, Ed Furlong was his first role ever, which is not uncommon to have a, a kid, yeah, for a kid. you know, to normal. never have been anything else before. And, and usually for that, they'll, they'll, uh, you know, do an open casting of like hundreds of kids to find the perfect one. Mm-hmm. Um, but Robert Patrick, he, he was already doing some acting work, and this was must have been a huge, huge break for him. And well, apparently, it was like um, he had like a very small role in Die Hard too. And somebody saw him in that and was like, "That's we want to check this guy out." And he had a ton of ideas also, uh, and just like his his movement, he, he put a lot of time into like watching like nature videos of predators, of like hawks and lions and sharks and. We like mimicking some of their animal movement, and that's like when you went to his audition, they they were like, "We love this." <laughs> it's <laughs> like because you just look like a normal guy, but some of your really subtle movements are so unsettling on camera uh, that like this is this is how we're gonna make you scarier than Arnold was in Terminator One. <laughs> well, I actually have a really bizarre bit of uh, kind of uh, potential castings that you know if Robert Patrick didn't get the role. Uh, apparently, Billy Idol was director James Cameron's original choice to play the T-1000, <laughs> but a motorcycle accident prevented him from taking on the role. That's ironic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this was somewhat ironic, since the T-1000 rides a motorcycle in many scenes. Idol can be seen in... Uh, that's not important. But yeah, so uh, Billy, this movie could have been O.J. Simpson as the Terminator and Billy Idol as the T-1000. <laughs> what a fucking bad movie that would have right? been. Like, it's imagine? almost like... Um... <laughs> like the uh, the cardboard cutout from Last Action Hero, where the Terminator is played by <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. Slow, yeah, that's great. <laughs> You're just like that would be fucking wild. Yeah, there's yeah. like like Eric Stoltz playing Marty McFly. You see the 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 the, the footage of the camera shots they oh, of that. So You're weird. just like, what the fuck? It's but so they bad. Shot, they like, shot for six weeks of it. You know, and like that. They that shot was... a good chunk of the movie. Like they had to shoot like thirty percent of the movie over when they when they got rid of him. Right. Like, Right, and, and the, but you realize like how important good casting is. Yep. Because you watch some of the takes they shot with Eric Stoltz, and you're like, "Ugh, this is like these jokes aren't landing at all," and that's exactly why the studio fired him. They were like, "Eric Stoltz is a fine actor, but he's just not funny. He's not getting this he, part. He's not. Yeah, I mean, he's not making these these lines funny." And then, but of course, you know, you look at the the chemistry that 
uh, Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd had together, and you're like, this is, you know, you, you'll never get this again. You, you could never remake this and, and, and make it better. Um, but yeah. yeah. 100%. Um, uh, <coughs> yeah, so, and just one other, you know, funny, this, this just all around was a very physically demanding shoot, it seems like, for all of the actors. Um, this is just a funny piece of trivia about uh, Arnold. So for the uh, L.A. River sequence, which is you know the uh, the the semi truck chase uh, in the in the kind of canyon whatever they call those aqueducts, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger was in pain because he could not wear a glove while cocking the gun, so his fingers uh, would get stuck in the mechanism. He tore the skin from his fingers and hand many times before he mastered it, and frequently hit Edward Furlong in the face with the gun while doing it. Uh, one time, almost knocking him out. He had achieved. Uh, he had to achieve all of this while trying to act and control a Harley at the same time. As James Cameron told him where to look, uh, he could not dart his eyes either because it would have ruined the shot. So shooting the gates also took weeks of weeks of practice because he had to quote act cool while doing it. So that and, and that's such an iconic like when he cocks the gun with one hand as he's riding the cycle. You know, he cocks spinning the it around. Yeah, I mean, they it's insane. They it, you have to do so much work to make something look that badass. You know, like mm-hmm. Arnold, Arnold for ten we, seconds of fucking screen time. Right, right, and, it, and it's you know again practical effects. Um, you know, it, one of, one of the funniest things I read was that you know the um, uh, the the overpasses weren't high enough for that rig to go through. So when they were doing the location scouting, they were like, okay, well I guess we're just gonna have to uh, film the truck, the top of the truck getting shaved off. Like that was <laughs> you know they that that was just something that was like out of necessity. It's not going to fit, so we have to. We're going to show this trucking, you know, the the, the roof sheared off, mm-hmm. which is just great because other you know, they, they didn't scene. have to do that. There's plenty of open area where there's there's no overpasses uh, where those those aqueducts are. They could have just you know, but again, it's like it, it's it's the progression, you know. Even w- when you see them actually that truck jump off the the ledge and crash, oh, it's such a great fucking. You'll, scene. you'll notice real carefully if you look both um, like both sides of the windshield pop out. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, like magically, they're back because <laughs> yeah. it, it got it got way more damage crashing uh, than they needed it to be for the rest of that of that scene. Um, which is, I mean, like, okay, if 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 that's what it takes to actually do that 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 crash with an actual truck, practically, you know, and fudge it a little rather mm-hmm. than CGI it, like, g- g- fine, fine, do it. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> it looks so fucking cool to really see that that truck go crashing off of there. Um, you know, and there's a couple of green screen shots, or not green screen shots, but uh, rear projection mm-hmm. shots in that, that that like look a little bit not the best. But you know, there's no way they can really have like all of the action and all the actors all in the same shot. They do a really good job of hiding most of that. Like the only thing that I found to be a little like I wish they almost hadn't done it was like the electricity at the end, where like uh, where, where, where when Arnold's like shorting out and like there's the kind of like lightning all over like that's the only part of it that I'm like ah oh, that looks like it's from the 80s everything else in this movie looks fucking little bit. awesome the, today. and the lightning at the very beginning looks better no yeah. that looked better for sure yeah I, for some reason just that last shot whatever it was and that shot they actually had to do some reshoots because the um originally it was like he, he was gonna you know uh Robert Patrick, you know, shorts him out, like smashes his head with the thing and then stabs him with the 
the with pole. the pole. And then, <laughs> very, and then very low tech, considering he's like this this high tech prototype. He's like, I'm just gonna stab you through the chest with a pole. <laughs> right. Yep, there we go. Um, but then, and then when he saves them at the end, where he, he you know slices Robert Patrick with the with the blade or whatever the hell he's carrying, um, it, that was supposed to be like uh, like a big shock that he came back to life. But they actually Cameron realized it didn't work in post and had Arnold fly back to reshoot on Christmas Day the scene of him rebooting. And then, like, pulling the, right. the pole out of them. Um, so maybe that's why there's a little, like, jankiness in the way that that looks, because parts of it were yeah, done in the last minute. Yeah, kind of thrown in there. But, uh, yeah, well, I mean, the final <coughs> final thing was was the uh, the grenade that he, he actually, you know, fires that lands in his chest and then, like, mm-hmm. blows him. In, Incredible. You know, that, I mean, that shot, I was just like, okay, this is fucking crazy. <laughs> Un- unreal the way that uh, it looks. But uh, you know, even with you know all the 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 different places you can shoot in a huge you know abandoned factory like that, because that when they shot there it was abandoned. Like there's still some really good continuity. Like it doesn't feel like they're just all over the place in that factory, it, and it's mm-hmm. not like oh we have to see every single place they you know go in it. But the, just just the directional continuity of planning all those action sequences like in the middle of all this machinery. You know, and and actually shooting there and having it, you know, like nowadays they would just like build all that on a set and you'd have, you know, breakaway walls and everything. They wouldn't shoot it in an actual factory. Right. Well, and I and I love the continuity just of having the the bandolier of the grenades on his chest and you see them like going down. And then the last one he has, he's trying to load it in as, you know, the as the liquid nitrogen truck is chasing behind them and he loses it because the truck hits him in the truck bed. And then that's the final grenade that he gets back at the end because he throws the gun after it. And then, you know, you see him with it at the end. It's it's just great because you see the dwindling at like, you know, a lesser movie would have just like had unlimited, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden he just pulls one more out. But I I like that continuity errors to it. It's so easy when you're shooting a film out of sequence and shooting take after take after take to have these continuity errors. You know, that's how we got a a Starbucks cup on on to Game of Thrones, you know. It just yeah. you, you there's so many people moving around, you just you miss everything. And that's why you have people that are there shooting still photos for continuity. And then, you know, even with just like the makeup and uh, you know, it just it, it's gotta be a nightmare. And so yeah, to pull it, it off is. so well is really frankly mind blowing. And and you you know, when you do it perfect, no one notices. That's mm-hmm. like when you fuck it up, people notice. When you do it perfect, everyone's like, Well, it seems fine. Um and you look at how many other movies in the eighties and nineties were just terrible, awful, really poorly done ripoffs. Like, did you ever see Cyborg with Jean Claude Van Damme? Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. Not good. The effects are terrible. The dialogue's terrible. The Universal action, Soldier, just not good. Like movies like that, just not good. Terrible. <clears throat> you know, and, and not nothing against Jean Claude Van Damme, but like, just just these production, just they thought they could just do anything with the same, you know, kind of coloring book. And it would be this, just as good and doesn't yep. work because it didn't have as much thought and planning and passion put into it yep. to really tell tell something real. And, and also, like, these movies don't have, like, an underlying thing. Like, that's the thing. Like, you got to have multiple levels to the theme. There's what it's, you know, that the, there's the plot, but then the theme. And that theme is, is again, why it resonates 30 years later. Like, what, are, what is it really about? What are, what are the underlying aspects of our humanity that fundamentally do not change decade to decade 
And this movie gets all those things. Well, another just really great dynamic of the movie, and it's the kind of the last thing I want to talk about is the last scene of the of the movie uh, is this kind of father son dynamic between uh, John Connor and and the T one thousand. And just in an action movie, you know, in any other action movie, that scene doesn't work, but they they just did such a deft job of building the character work, you know, between these two. Uh, that by the end, when you know that that just iconic shot of the T one thousand getting lowered into the lava and the thumb goes up, it's just it still fucking kills you. Like you know, tw- thirty years later, whatever it is, it's just it's an incredible, uh, incredible bit of dialogue between them at the end. You know, if <laughs> and that's another cringy line that you know I now know why you cry, but it is something I can't do. But it just works. Like I, for some reason, I, I don't I don't cringe at that. I still just I, you oh, know. Yeah. It, well, it works I, for me. I, I love that when uh, when they're in the car, and he says like, "What's wrong with your eyes?" Because he's, he's crying. <laughs> it's like literally, it's two minutes after he just said, "I have detailed files on human anatomy." I'm like, apparently, <laughs> you know the anatomy, but not the function of any of it. Uh, so yeah, a little 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 air there, but but no, I I love that scene. I love that you know that little bit at the end. Um, I love kind of Linda Hamilton the way she plays that scene where she's. You know, she she's totally fine luring him in, but she you could tell she's like she 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 is not as hostile to him as she was. You know, the whole movie she has this of air of like you know, hey, you look exactly like the fucking guy that tried to murder me, and you know, all the, well, twenty and, years and ago, we get her internal internal monologue, the voiceover where she's watching, um, you know, when they're they're like high five in each other, playing, yeah, and uh, you know, she's talking about, oh, isn't it how ironic that you know here's this killing machine. That's now a better father than like any guy I've been with. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think that actually, you know, voiceover can, can be a crutch, but I think it works in that it, for, for, for stuff like that. Cause that character would never say that out loud. You know, that's not something sure. she's ever going to. And you don't even think in your own head in complete sentences anyway. You just ha- you think in feelings. Right. Yeah. Um, but it also, you know, it's, 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 a uh, the second time we have her voiceover narration because it, it the movie starts with her voiceover, uh, narration as well uh but one of the one of the things i love is that you know in the uh in the first terminator as he gets more beat up you know he has to cut out his own eye and puts sunglasses on like he uh goes from looking uh more human to less human Mm -hmm. right and in this movie they do the opposite where he starts off with the sunglasses uh and and the motorcycle and eventually uh you know loses those things and looks more human as he's you know becoming more uh, human, so they, they, you know, not just inverting him being the good guy versus the bad guy, but he, the the way he looks is inverted as well yeah. in the second film. Yeah, hundred percent. So, yeah, just just excellent movie overall. Um, one of I, I you know, I, I consider it to be the greatest action movie of all time. But just one of my favorite movies. Um, what would you give this as a rating out of five? Hammer and Sickles. Uh, five out of five, without a doubt. And and I can only yeah. say that because I've gone back and watched it over and over and over. I almost didn't even rewatch it. Um, I, I I didn't think I had to because I, like, I was like I can remember every yeah. scene in this movie. But then there's so many details. I'm like I'm not gonna remember the, mm-hmm. like the 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 little touches that uh, make it as good as it needs to be described on our on our review, right? Yep. Um, and again, I was like, nope, not, nothing here is dated. Uh, everything holds up. Um, all these these themes of of you know how the police are really the personification of dehumanizing. Uh, it feels right on the surface now with with everything that we know about policing 
and about you know uh, what we're what we're going through currently with um, all these protests and riots and uh, this sort of sea change in how we're thinking about uh, policing. You know, you've got the city of Minneapolis where we uh, virtually burned down a police station uh, over a month ago is now the only city that's that's uh, looking at doing actual fundamental change of dismantling their police department entirely and replacing it with something much more like unarmed social workers. Yeah. Um, so again, showing that uh, you can do lots of, you know, decades of peaceful protest does not get nearly as much done as direct action and actual right. A rioting. few weeks of direct action. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, you go back and you watch a film like this and you're like, how could we have not seen it? How could we have yeah. not seen this right off the bat? Yeah. Yeah. I, and I agree. Absolutely. Five out of five without a doubt. Yeah. So, um, that was Terminator 2. Uh, we'll be back in in a couple weeks with another uh, movie review. We're actually going to take a little bit of a hiatus from the main show. Uh, you know, there's just not... Uh, right now, it's just kind of a rough time in general. You know, there's not a lot to talk about Talk about electorally. Uh, the, the, the protests have kind of turned into just, you know, women's march type, you know, just for the most part. It, it's, it's just everything's died down, and it's really just a slow time and you know i don't know i can't speak for for you comrade but i'm i'm just burnt out talking about politics yeah that's every fine day, every week I, i'm burnt out on it like i people have been talking about this uh primary race in kentucky and i just don't, I don't even care like yeah. none of it is interesting and they stole it from him anyway so you know <laughs> they, yeah. once the, yeah. once the votes got behind closed doors but, but you know we'll be back probably in in you know a few weeks with the, po- the politics but also i'm getting married next week so i need to not oh. you know i need to focus oh, on a little little, fo- little personal uh note <laughs> focus on that yeah um so but we're gonna have some movie reviews because that's something i can you know I, I, it's it, i don't have to do as much research for that but i also find that to be a little more invigorating to just kind of you know yeah. dive into some of these films that we love um absolutely and then we'll be back and with if you have no idea what we're talking about right now we do normally a weekly political <laughs> yeah, podcast and if you hadn't picked up on where our politics lie from this podcast then uh uh i don't know what you're listening to us for but uh, go check that out um move left idiots is the name yep. of that show rate review subscribe on apple podcasts follow us on soundcloud soundcloud.com slash move left uh facebook.com slash move left idiots Patreon uh, is patreon.com slash move left. We have merch available at tinyurl.com slash move left merch. I am at move underscore left on Twitter. Uh, and I am at bike slutty on Twitter. Yeah, we'll see you next time. That's the sound of the police. That's the sound of the beast. That's the sound of the police. That's the sound of the beast. That's the sound of the police. That's the sound of the
Sessão Zara Beast.